Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to another episode of the Prospects Live Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Yalmagir, and I am joined by Ralph Lifshitz and Matt Thompson, as always, on a beautiful Sunday evening. Boys, I got a simple, quick question for you. No, nothing other zany stuff. Do you think that in the next five years, we're going to see a pitcher hit 106 just one time on the gun? Matt, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think we will. It won't be consistent or anything in it, but I could see it. Yeah, I think with the way people train for velocity and athletes are bigger and stronger, yeah, I'll say we will. Maybe okay. once or twice, but nothing consistent, but yeah. Yeah, just just, just once even. we You know, we saw Chapman hit 105 once, hasn't hit it again. But I've been hitting the gym, it just, so it, may, it, might, it might be you. It might, okay, maybe. it might be you. Uh, I Ralph, I, I don't know about... I don't know how you feel about Matt being the one to hit 106, but do you think anyone can hit 106 in the next five years? Oh, um, I, I'm inclined to actually say no on this one. Um, like, I, what is it, so. I mean, I, I suppose that it's like, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know kind of a thing where there could be some other advanced technology that comes into play. I mean, Every year, it seems like I, I learn a new language. I mean, the amount of stuff I've learned this year from like a, a metric standpoint um, in terms of like, you know, measuring and training pitchers and all that sort of stuff has been, you know, like a college cl- course, maybe maybe entire semester. I don't know. But it feels like it's hard for me to buy it because I tend to feel like most of the 105s we've seen have been hot guns, you know. Um, whether it be on Twitter um, or something gets tripped in the system. If, if it's an, if it's a singular pitch event, I have trouble buying that it's legitimate. Um, so I don't know. I wonder how many like one Oh fives were actually legit. Like I think probably a raw this did once or something, but um, so I don't know. I, I feel like it's such a unicorn that I'm not even inclined to believe it when it's reported. I'm always like, yeah, the gum is probably hot. It was probably 103, 102, you know. <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah. And with with you know with Hawkeye now in the game, I'm I'm actually wonder actually wonder because I know 105 was a stadium gun when Chapman hit. I've actually never gone back to verify if, if it really was 105. Uh, but but fun question to ponder. We might Jordan be Hicks could pre- do it maybe. He's the type of guy like 
uh, nobody, I don't predict anybody to really do it, but he's the type of guy he's working back from Tommy John, going through the rehab and strengthening all the muscles, right? So, I mean, so I, I mean, just Jordan Hicks averaged 101. Average is 101, according to uh, right. pitch info. So it certainly seems like it could be within the realm of the possibility on the right day, right? Who knows? I don't know. Fun discussion, though. So so I just looked it up, and, uh, yeah, StatCast actually had him at 105.1 miles per hour in July of uh, 2006, and it tied his own record for the f- uh, 2010 for the fastest recorded pitch in MLB history. That one was not – stat cast so um i'd have to look at a couple others and see what the fastest pitches are of all time but what uh-huh. was luke little at in his little that was indoor a pocket, session yeah it was a pocket no radar. i understand i'm and, not saying that was no, accurate but we had we had a discussion about this the other day i think with brian sikowski or or Vinny, or it might even have been uh jim callis but um nobody got excited in that gym when he hit 105 <laughs> with pocket radar so that's a good sign that maybe that wasn't actually 105. Yeah, yeah. I, think I mean, pocket radar. Is my I have a pocket radar. I have a pocket radar. It is hot and cold constantly. So it is plus or minus ten for pocket radars in my <laughs> experience. Yeah. You, using yours, that was my experience, Ralph. Uh, remember to rate us. Give us the five stars wherever you're listening to us. If you enjoy these conversations, we have a really fun one planned for you today to help you out in your dynasty leagues and kind of. Uh, tune your eyesight, if you will, a little bit as to what you're looking for on a specific sort of breakout profile, if you will. So again, if we've been helping you this off season, if we've been helping you, uh, excuse me, this season, if we've been helping you in the off season, or on Twitter, or, or with our articles, our MLB draft articles, again, drop us, a, drop us a five stars wherever you listen to us. We would appreciate us and helps 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 us keep climbing the ranks. Uh, coming up this week on Prospects Live. Um, we have a perfect game All-American Classic roundup from Ralph, Joe, and our entire draft team. Really excited to read that. Uh, I mean, I'm telling you guys, there's, I mean, hats off to you, uh, uh, to you, Ralph, and and the and the work you guys have been putting over there on the draft side. Like, I, I legitimately don't think we're we're just blowing the coverage off of this, and it's it's just a fantastic job that we've done. So a self pat on the back for uh, all around. <laughs> And a TJ Antone deep dive. Will Sharnagel is back in the fold and uh, back from his slumber. And, and uh, a self-professed Reds fan, he gave a really nice uh, feature piece on TJ Antone. Uh, first a reliever. Now it seems like he's back sort of in the rotation for the Reds. And uh, a few days ago, I posted, you know, my other guest, a StatCast tweet of, of Antone, and it kind of blew everyone away. I mean, all, I mean, everything was to the right. Dude is just... Just lit up with red dots on that on his you know classic stat cast uh, bubble. So take a look at what makes him tick and what makes TJ Antone such a good prospect right now, and how Will has tweaked his perspective now versus how he saw him in the preseason. So keep an eye, keep an eye out for those pieces, and of course, much much more each week on Prospects Live. So boys, we you know there's you know several things that have happened over the course of the week. Uh, guys like uh, Dean Kramer debuted, had a nice debut versus the Yankees. Uh, Joe Adele, even though he had a big game, he's last in war and rookies, believe it or not, negative 0.8. Right Mountcastle keeps trying some walks. Trevor Rogers from the Marlins. Ten strikeouts against the Rays. That was pretty fantastic. Uh, But nothing nothing we want to dive in too much because really what I'm excited for is this conversation we're going to have. And it really spawned from a text uh, that we had among the three of us. Uh, Ralph, you brought up, uh, and and I got to bring up the account here, you brought up a, a tweet from, I believe it was Indians Pro, correct? 
Um, yeah. yeah. And in, Indians Pro, a fantastic, fantastic uh, a Twitter follow if you're a Cleveland Indians fan. Uh, again, at Indians Pro. And they noted that Tyler Freeman had hit his sixth home run in the alternate training site. Now, information from the alternate training site from any team is extremely hard to come by. So this is kind of a little bit of eye-popping. And the reason it's eye-popping is because Tyler Freeman has hit, let me see here, seven home runs in his professional career. Now, we're not saying the alternate training site competition is is huge, but that's, that kind of should raise your eyebrow a little bit because Tyler Freeman has long been someone that, while the industry has more or less appreciated him and putting put him inside top 100s, and, and, for example, in ours, as I, as I pull up our list, he is 112. So just outside of top 100, we always wondered about the, the, the power. So is the power here? And my thing was, well, is this the type of profile that grows power? So we got into this awesome conversation that I kind of want to just reveal to the public here as to what are you looking for when considering whether a contact first bat is going to add power and break out? So the premier example of this is Francisco Lindor. Francisco Lindor had single-digit home runs in every single minor league season, uh, crept into double digits for the first couple of years of his career, and then blew up hitting 30 home runs and above. And now he's a superstar. And you know we're, we're seeing now that we should we shouldn't underrate these contact bats. But what is that you're looking for if you're trying to get ahead of your league mates? What should you be looking for to spot these potential breakouts? So, Ralph, you set you set off a series of of, of statistics. It was three things that you're looking for numbers wise like that you kind of help sort of sift everything through and then you assess. So. I'll kick it over to you. What are these numbers that you're looking at? And what does each number represent? And why is it important? Sure. So um, I think the the number one thing that, you know, I tend to look at is probably line drive rate. Um, now, there's a couple other elements that I'm, I'm factoring in uh, as well with some of this stuff. Um, you know, part of it being swing strike rate. I want to see how frequently he swings and misses. Um, that's usually indicative of, you know, great back control, barrel control, whatever terminology you want to use. Um, you know, that, that shows me that he also, you know, the player has good pitch recognition skills in terms of the stuff that he's swinging at. Um, you know, he tends to make contact with it. So he's probably not a huge chaser. Um, and then, you know, I'll, I'll sort of piggyback off of that and I'll take a look at contact rate because um, sometimes guys don't have bad swing strike rates. Um, you know, typically it's going to be indicative of what the contact rate is, but it can fluctuate a little bit um, just sort of naturally, as, as you might imagine. Um, so I like to look at, um, you know, what the contact rate is as well and sort of reference against that. And then really the biggest thing I'm looking at is a type of contact uh, that a hitter is making. And I think when someone is making line drive contact, but hasn't hit for a tremendous amount of power, um, that's usually a good sign that this is a guy that probably has, you know, we've talked about this concept before, you know, a, a tighter sort of la- launch angle variance. And, you know, having that sort of tighter variance in terms of launch angle um, sort of shows up in the line drive rate. And it's usually a little bit better. Um, you know, a guy like Lindor is a little different. He definitely hit um, more ground balls uh, than he did fly balls. Um, and, you know, that certainly 
changed over the years, but he always had like a, like a decent line drive rate, particularly when he came up because he came up really young. Um, but I think you could sort of see when guys are creeping in, in the upper minors in like those 30s, uh, 35 plus, you know, for, for fly ball rate um, or the line drive rate is, you know, anywhere from like 19 to like 20% or higher. Um, that's usually a pretty good sign that the guy makes re- you know harder contract contact because you know these line drive um, ground ball fly ball numbers aren't necessarily perfect um, so certainly some of um, you know the line drives may not be super strong line drives but there's also going to be like some fly balls that bleed into that as well if it's scorched right because we tend to think of a fly ball if it's something that's being um, catalog sort of, um, or indexed manually, like a lot of these are, but like the info solutions guys that are at different parks, you know, they hire out, um, you know, sometimes it's going to be a little bit more variance within those numbers, but at the same time, it tells you that like, all right, this isn't being scored off of a particular metric in terms of like launch angle and exit velocity. It's being marked that based off of like how hard it comes off of the bat, you know? Uh, and I think a really good example is a guy like, Mookie Betts, who always had relatively good um, fly ball rates, definitely crept up, um, you know, the higher up that he went in the minors once he sort of got out of um, low A. Um, And it started to materialize itself in some fly balls, but also in, you know, line drive rates that were somewhere around 20%. So, you know, I think it's sort of um, a combination of somebody who has good pitch recognition skills. When they swing, they don't miss, so they make contact. You know, that's sort of paired up with the swing strike rate and the contact rate. And then you take a look at the line drive rate. Um, and I know one of the guys that we talked about, obviously, was was Tyler Freeman. And, you know, you take a look at, you know, Freeman's numbers and just dig a little bit under the hood. Um, he's a guy that's had high line drive rates, like really high line drive rates um, and still been, you know, other than for a stretch uh, in high A last season, He's been 30% plus, really 32% plus, his lowest in 2017, 18, 19 was 31.8. Um, but he's been anywhere from, you know, 31%, we'll say, to like 36% on fly ball rates. His line drive rates have been anywhere from 22% up to, you know, a tick over 26%, which is a really good number. That tells me that, you know, he's had, you know, a, a tighter launch angle. He doesn't swing and miss a lot. We know that. Contact rates are pretty good. Um, and he does have some lifts, so it's a matter of sort of really just adding strength and getting those man muscles. And you know, we do this happens a lot. And I think the guys that we've all named, Lindor, Betts, Freeman, now we're talking about guys that were high school or prep draft picks as well. And there's so much work with those picks, you know, for two or three years that we kind of see. Um, and we judge off of statistical production against other professionals who could have been four-year college players, et cetera, versus the way we sort of look at some of these college guys where I think that's the difference between a lot of these college and prep picks too, sort of tying it into like an FYPD sort of mentality. Um, these college guys are just typically more leveraged for power when they come out. It's not as many of those guys that are figuring it out. You know, and there's, then there's certainly exceptions to the rule that are later later in the career draft, uh, later in the career breakouts. Somebody like maybe a, a Justin Turner or you know a Daniel Murphy, um, who certainly added sort of pull side power and that sort of thing. Um, but it tends to materialize in guys that just have good back control, good barrel control, um, and make hard contact, which is and when it 
shows up in launch angles, it's usually, excuse me, it shows up in line drives. It's typically um, showing me that there's a tighter launch angle variance there because it's, you know, you, you tend to hit more like sort of scorchers um, when, when you have that, uh, that sort of batted ball profile. So uh, a lot to digest there. Uh, the first thing I want to make, give the audience is, is some actionable info. Um, and I don't know how hard and fast these rules or these numbers are, Ralph. You can correct me. Um, but you, sh- uh, when we were chatting among us, you were looking for line drive rate above 20%, mm-hmm. swinging strike rate below 10%, and contact rate above 80%. Uh, th- that's kind of like the, the the sort of triangle you're forming. And, and man, I'm going to ask you about launch, launch angle uh, variance and the importance of it, you think. But before I go to you, Ralph, is there anything to say, though, about the ground ball and fly ball relationship there? Because if you have those numbers, but you're pounding into the ground, I'm not sure if I'm convinced you're going to be a power hitter though. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, you don't see a whole lot of guys that necessarily have like 25% or, you know, 22%, you know, line drive rates and 50% um, ground ball rates typically. Um, but yeah, I mean, once, once you're in that 50% range um, for extended periods of time, you know, cause there's always blips in the radar a short season, you know, out of the draft or, you know, one particular stop where a guy's struggling and maybe making some tweaks to his swing and he's, he's rolling over more stuff than he typically does. Um, yeah. I mean, so I think you sort of got to maybe measure that against it too. You know, you don't want somebody who's incredibly heavy in terms of um, ground balls, but yeah, I mean, guys also change their swing too. I mean, look like a guy like Jaron Duran, you know, who's, I think if we had batted ball numbers on him, I, I haven't been cataloging myself watching all these, uh, these, you know, um, alternate site, I was gonna call it extended site, alternate site um, games where, you know, if I'm sure if I did like his line drive rate and his fly ball rates are significantly higher um, than they were. But if you look at a guy like Freeman, he's kind of been in like the mid forties, you know? Um, so that tells me that that's like three or 4% that could tick over, you know, into the fly balls, maybe a little bit of the line drives, maybe some of the line drives go to fly balls, but it can't be something like, you know, 55%. And then like, you're, you're like, all right, like this guy has to make a 10% drop. Like it's a significant change in bat path and, you know, probably like, you know, um, bat angle uh, that we talked about a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I think if you're, you're seeing somebody like maybe like an Xavier Edwards, or someone like that, then you're probably talking a little bit more um, along the lines of, I, I hate the term, but like a, like a slap hitter, um, you know, somebody who's really just trying to barrel up and use their, or excuse me, just sort of hit it off the end of the bat, use their legs, get the ball on the ground. And they could still hit scorchers that way. You could still hit, you know, hundred plus mile so, per hour ground balls. But like you look at, you look at like Xavier Edwards and he's got 70, 54%. Slight little tick up, forty six percent, and then fifty seven percent even, and I believe that was in the Cal League, you know. Um, and so I, I kind of want to uh, deviate. I mean, kind of keeping that same uh, mm-hmm. train of thought. So, if you, if you plug in those numbers, uh, line drive rate above twenty percent, swinging strike rate below ten percent, contact above eighty percent. Uh, Nick, look, Nick Mansell got me to all of those, and that's the first guy I'm going to go to when, <laughs> when I think about this. So. You mentioned, Ralph, there's an element of slap of a slap hitter. Nick Madrigal does have a 60% ground ball rate, 
And, you know, to wit, he hasn't barreled a single ball yet in the majors. Yes, he's hitting 372, 16 singles and 43 at-bats entering Sunday. So, Matt, I kind of want to kick it over to you then. I mean, if, if this is why it's important to maybe look at some video or maybe reach out right. to someone you, you mm-hmm. trust that has seen some of these guys or has some sort of information. Because if I'm just if I'm just at home and, and I'm I'm like, all right, Ralph, Eddie, and Matt, they gave me line drive twenty percent, swing strike, my, you know, less than ten, and contact plus eighty. Let's go. I'm gonna pick up all those guys. But you know, Nick Madrigal pops up or Xavier Edwards pops up, and then you're mad at us when they don't turn into power hitters. So like, what are you looking for then to to differentiate? <clears throat> a slap hitter who meets these qualifications versus a contact guy who isn't necessarily slapped like Tyler Freeman, but, but the power is coming in for him. So like what, where's the disconnect that maybe someone might not understand and how can you differentiate? Well, all the numbers are tied into, I mean, how well they control the zone, right. And how well they, you know, square up the ball when they make contact at a high rate, um, all good things, but when combined, you have to be careful and we're not saying Nick Madrigal is not a good player. That's not what we're talking here. We're just looking for guys with this skill set that can take it to the next level, right? And when you look at Madrigal, it's pretty evident that there's no power in the swing, just both by watching the watching him play. He's a good example because he's in the big leagues now, and people can readily see him play. He's five foot seven, five foot eight, maybe. And I'm not trying to height shame him or anything but it's a frame that's not conductive to producing power the swing itself he doesn't really use a lot of the lower half it's a lot of hands just literally put the bat on the ball is his goal Xavier Edwards is the same way Edwards is a more athletic version but he also isn't as refined as far as you know hand-eye coordination putting the bat on the ball Um, and I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of these players play shortstop and second base either right because it's you know, a lot of hands-oriented actions for them on defense. Uh, they're involved in the game all the time, uh, moving moving the ball around, moving around every play. And they're the type of guys that they're just going to put the bat on the ball, use their legs. They're all plus runners. I mean, it's, it's adapting to their skill set perfectly. Um, when you watch these guys, though, you watch – who's an, an example of this? Um, Isak Paredes is a good example of a guy that fits, fits this criteria as well. He's a guy who's got a frame that you can tell with more power, right? It's simple. Just put your eyes on the player, and you could tell, okay, well, Edwards is 5'9", 160. I'm making up those up, but he's small, right? So, like, you you know in the back of your mind, okay, well, he's not going to be a guy that's going to grow a lot and not going to be a guy that launch, launches the ball. That's not his game. That's You have to just know the kind of the archetype of the player and – I wish I had a better answer other than just you watch the bat path and and they don't incorporate the lower half in the swing and it's just kind of bat to ball and and run. You you weren't far off on Edwards five ten one seventy five. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, oh, oh, I, he's probably not that big. I think that might be just generous listening listening on that too. But and when uh, you say path uh, uh, for those at home, that's basically exactly like, level. Mean, they don't have. There's no. If you watch a lot of the power hitters, they have a natural. Uppercut, loft. Their yeah, uppercut, kind easy, of easy generating loft, and Nick Madrigal is pretty much level. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's, yeah, yeah, it's it's straight through the zone. Like you're not, he isn't trying to lift it. It's just trying to like meet the ball where it's at and keep it level straight yeah. somewhere. The amount of pull side homers Nick Madrigal hits over 400 feet in his career is probably going to be zero. Like just flat out. Like you know what I mean? And like that's just how it's going to happen. That's that's not his game. 
Uh, he's bat the ball to the extreme, and it's worked for him and because he's got the skill set for it. I don't know if Ralph has anything else to add, but I think that's the main gist of what the idea is. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that's that's a big part of it. And um, Certainly you need no. to put eyes on these players. You can't just read you can't just read these numbers and pick up all these guys and, and expect them all to pop because it's not going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, and I think the other part of it too is like Freeman is a guy who's six feet tall, has right. the ability to put some weight in his frame. Yes. Um, and you know, once again, he's a prep, he's a prep guy, you know, um, I think the problem with Nick Madrigal is he just doesn't hit the ball that hard. He just doesn't hit the ball that hard. You know, he doesn't try to, in fairness. I mean, it's not really his game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but you know, I'm sure if Nick Madrigal could hit the ball on average, 92 miles per hour, like 87 miles per hour, do it. Um, he's kind of had time to, to, maximize and sort of add leverage and he's tried it before, you know? Um, so I don't know if it's maybe a bat speed thing there or something like that. And by the way, this isn't, this isn't perfect. You know um, I think it's more for prospects you're looking at, you know, in a dynasty league and you're trying to, you know, it's a little deeper and you're trying to find guys that maybe you can identify as potential breakouts that you trade for, you know, I, I don't think that um, it's it's something you'd use for a guy who's top 50 sort of notoriously, um, or it's a way to sort of justify a player like Freeman, who I think the industry on a whole got really cold on uh, a year ago, you know, right. and it was one of those things where I was still pounding the table on him kind of the way I have on um, India. Now, not that I didn't fall off. I mean, I had Freeman like, top 50 or 60 at some point. Cause I do like those hit tool guys, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's imperfect. And it's just like with anything in baseball, it's imperfect, but I think there's characteristics that you can sort of target and buy into a little bit. Um, and then, you know, you got to have some context with it, but I do feel like Nick Madrigal in that sense is kind of the exception to the rule and his ground ball rates are so high that um, it really detracts from the whole profile. He's a smaller guy. Um, and he had a college track record to sort of pull off of. But I'm sure that for a lot of these same reasons, there are still people out there listening. They're saying, hey, I think Nick Madrigal can hit 15, 12, 13 home runs when he's 27, 28 years old. And, you know, he's he's uh, a strong enough contact hitter and he's got – you know, elite barrel control that I think he's a guy that can do that. I mean, look at a guy like Jose Altuve and maybe that's who, you know, you want to sort of comp out and, and seal and sort of sealing uh, Madrigal's power at, and Hey, I'm, I'm okay with that. I just don't know um, what the numbers are and like his bat speed and some of those things. Maybe Madrigal's bats a little bit slower than we think. Maybe he doesn't have um, sort of like peak acceleration uh, in terms of like impact. And, and some of those things that, you know, they do sort of measure, maybe that's sort of behind. Um, I don't know, but maybe, I mean, you know, Jose, Jose, Jose Altuve is, yeah, the best case scenario. Someone who is actually yeah. one inch shorter than Nick Madrigal at five, six, Jose Altuve. But you can see the difference in watching Jose Altuve swing a bat and Nick Madrigal swing a bat too, right? Now, now, I think early on in his career, it was probably fair, you know. I didn't think, like, here's a couple examples. I didn't think Altuve um, – you know, at the time being more of a, a fantasy guy as I was sort of getting into writing at that point. But I didn't think Altuve would ever hit 15 to 20 homers. And 
Like yeah, I didn't I think I didn't think DJ LeMay he would have power like that. I don't think a lot of people did either. I think I don't you think know? you were, were alone in that thinking either. And I think that just goes to show teams are getting more intelligent. And I think those are two of the smarter teams that figured out how to optimize bat paths, right? Yankees and Astros. I think they're kind of two of the organizations that were ahead of this kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, because I think if you look at you know what, uh, particularly last season. Because um, this year is obviously he's been kind of hurt. Yeah, so this is weird. Can't take anything. Kind it's of 117 at bats too. We would be throwing this out with the bathwater to begin with. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking. I'm actually as you guys are chatting, I was looking at some some 2012, 2013 Jose Altuve highlights, and even then, even back then though, he had a little bit, a little bit of loft in his swing. Right. Uh, so. Uh, it it was it was there for Jose Altuve, it's but not. you know he did he did spend like four years in single digit home runs. So maybe the maybe the power can come for Nick Madrigal, but right now he doesn't have the ingredients to make it happen. He has to undergo some sort of pretty drastic transformation with the White what's Sox coaching Nick staff. Madrigal's on, what's I'm putting kind of guys on the spot. I don't know if anybody. What's Nick Madrigal's uh, launch angle right now? Two point two degrees. Okay, Where and if you look if you look at Altuve, even back in 2015, it was 11.2. So that kind of goes to show you, you know, maybe Altuve really is more the, the Tyler Freeman guy, right? Yeah, the Madrigal guy. There's an article <laughs> I want to I want to cite on Fangraphs too, written by Alex Chamberlain, uh, awesome dude. If you're not familiar with Alex, he wrote a nice article kind of explaining what launch angle tightness kind of is, and I'm using yeah. it as a, as a real good source I right now. I use variance, but tightness, and really the concept kind of comes from Alex. A you want minimal – what the goal is, you want minimal variance. You want it to be as consistent as possible. Exactly. You want it, right, and that's the goal. And I guess he did some research, which is beyond my level of brain power. Uh, 19%, I guess, is the optimized number they're kind of looking for for launch angle. Um like 19 uh, degrees in the 19 degrees, not, excuse me. Or a like or 19% variance. 19 degrees is what is kind of the optimal number. Well, that's um, number huge though. Yeah. Um hitters with a launch average launch angle closest to 19 degrees in 2019. Anthony Rendon, Mookie Betts, Chris Bryant, Hunter Renfro, Alex Bregman, Jose Ramirez, Matt Olson. There's plenty of more names. Max Kepler, Eugenio Suarez. Jorge Polanco, Kevin Biggio, Benintendi, Calhoun, Bellinger. I mean, those are. I mean, a lot of those are, are big pop dudes, right? And and, so, and those are big pop dudes who who for the most part are consistent with how they get to that pop. And they make contact. Uh, Some of the you know, it's not just swing for the fence kind of guys. Yeah. So so I guess it's it's I would I would say it's tough. I would say it's tough to maybe use that as a metric to maybe. Well, it's not publicly available data until it's yeah there. Yeah, but but I guess if like you know you know I I think we all agree you know that we're 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 not Nick Madrigal is not popping ten home runs no. next year, but uh, maybe just saying his 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 launch angle right now is a little bit unfair to maybe just use that statistic. But if you use it in conjunction with everything we've been saying, then certainly it adds more ammo That's- to our side of the conversation. That's how you got to use these numbers. You have to use them, um, you know, as sort of pieces on on the sort of plate to the the larger meal, right? Yeah. You know, you got your you got your, the gravy. Cream, the you gravy. got your your potatoes and gravy. You got right. your carrots over here. You know, your meat, whatever it might be. Make a little cranberry sauce. They can't touch each other on the plate because that's my thing. They gotta they gotta be separate. Well, here they they're all just like mixed <laughs> together into like one sculpture <laughs> of food. So. But I, I think we need to sort of understand all the other stuff, and and um, 
yeah, you got to look at the holistic picture, you know. Um, so yeah, so, I mean, and there aren't many guys that, that have a 19 degree launch angle. I think, but but yeah, sure. I mean, like there's there's some stuff that I think you know it's it's you can see you can sort of um, get an idea of like you know what like VBA is um, just by looking at a hitter head on. You know, if you get head on footage, you could slow it down right before the point of contact in the swing. You could sort of see how angular somebody's sort of you know uh, approach the ball is. Um, you know, from sort of side angles, you get a better idea. You know, open face, you get a better idea of what like the attack angle is like as you slow that down, and you know, could see some of that stuff. But just like a swing, you know, you, you can't just look at the bat path. You got to look at you know how much is the guy into his back hip. Um, you know, is he bleeding out? on his front side is, you know, up on his front foot, you know, what are his hips right. like? Um, how He's noisy are his hands? Yeah, exactly. So right. I think it's just like anything in baseball where you really have to look at everything and you have to have like a, a really large sample size. And you can probably find any, you can, you can, you can probably find the stat to back any point of view as well. Cause you got to know what you're looking at. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> certainly, you know, this, and this is, this is an hypothesis and sort of an approach more than it is like a, like a rule or a law. 100%. These are secondary things to reinforce. A yeah. Yeah. I mean, where like, if you're looking at maybe what somebody's average launch angle is like on a prospect and we have like maybe some of that data and we see what like someone's max exit velocity is and what their average exit velocity is. Those aren't numbers I would necessarily look at on their own, but I think like combined, you know, I could look at that and maybe if I had that data for a college hitter, and I could see, all right, like Ethan Wilson is really, really good. Like Ethan Wilson is a guy who's going to barrel up a lot because he hits the ball, you know, above 95% and 95 miles per hour constantly. That's what his average is. And his average, you know, launch angle is 13, 14 degrees. That's a guy who's going to put the ball in play and barrel up a lot just by the nature of what his sort of average characteristics are uh, on batted ball events, you know. Um, that's something that you could sort of take away, but you don't want to just look at what a guy's launch angle is. Cause there's, you know, you could probably, there's probably some really bad hitters that will, you know, yeah. never play more than indie ball that have great launch angles. You know, there's, that's all they work. You know? That's all they That's all they spent their time doing getting in the lab and trying to find that out. Maybe, was, maybe, was, no, maybe not. I don't even think it's that. I think it's just naturally. They're just, it's something they have, but their bats really slow, you know, right. all these guys. And I, I'll tell you the more, uh, draft prospects, amateur prospects that we interview and talk to, and they're more up to date with angels and everything else. They're more based uh, or agents. I said angels, uh, agents. <laughs> uh, maybe there's sometimes angels. I don't know. But um, the one thing I notice is these guys are really more focused on feel. Like they're athletes, man. Like, like yeah, they'll tweak something, but it's once it feels right that then it becomes sort of part of them and they can make the adjustments. And there's certainly guys, and, and I don't think it's a. I, there's, I don't, I don't want to say that are intelligent enough, but I think there's guys that are um, uh, curious enough to really dig into those numbers and learn them. Certainly, there's some guys that, in terms of intelligence, they're next level. But there's also some really smart guys that are like, you know, you know, I, like it's really more feel to me. And when you're like an incredible athlete, somebody like you know, um, uh, Jaden Hill that we talked to, pitcher from LSU, he just picked up a slider, like. He was training, was working back from an injury and rehabbing, and he decided, like, somebody was throwing a slider, and he's like, oh, let me see how that pitch grip is, and then, like, came out and just starts throwing, like, an absolute ridiculous 88-mile-per-hour slider, and, like, you know, there aren't many guys that can practice that for three days and all, or, you know, and all of a sudden have, like, a game-ready pitch. Like, 
there's some guys that just can't. Like, I don't know. It's it's tough. Like, because there's guys that certainly would study it and everything else, but like if your bat's slow, man, you're just you're never gonna catch up the velocity, and that's just gonna limit right, you know, the level you over you'll you'll ever play at, you know. I don't know. Like, I think it's I think it's one of these things where we see too many guys like Jeff Fry or some of these hardos on Twitter. Um, they get really jerked off about like terms like launch angle and people training with technology. And it's like, well, not all those kids are doing that. Like, right. They just happen to naturally one or two things. And the teams just want to metrically get a better feel for how they move. Like, and, and then they can go back to it and sort of apply that to sort of just basic baseball instruction. You know, it's right. the same thing as like a lot of these teams now that want their scouts to be proficient in, trackman data and the reason they want them to be proficient in trackman data is they want them to be able to go to games and like sit nose to net and be like all right that's a cutter like that's a low spin efficiency slider or he cuts his fastball a ton maybe they're seeing that already but they can get a better idea of like you know what the spin axis is and some of that stuff once they're really well trained in it i mean because like you ever watch a game or or talk about stuff during a game with somebody who's really well trained in like you know Nathaniel Plotz or Centric Laddie, like I, I just ask him questions while I'm watching MLB games, like a Dodgers game. I know he's watching. Be like, what about this? What about that? And he can just sort of, without even looking at numbers, he can sort of just pick stuff out by the naked eye. And I think that's where the connection is between like scouting and some of these advanced metrics uh, that people are sort of starting to tout and utilize. And it's like if you're able to make that connection in terms of like visual scouting and how that translates to metric and what are good characteristics for versus bad, man, that's when you're winning, you know, but, yeah. more organizations, that's what they're doing. Man. And I think There's a lot been, of, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, what well, you can finish your thought. I, was I just say think that. a lot it, of it, a lot of it's like stuff we've already known. Like we could all sit there and watch a game and say, Oh, that's a good slider. But now these numbers are showing us why they're a good slider, why it's a good slider. And I think it just adds more, levels to just you know what i mean like yeah there's different types of good sliders too right and why it's good there's a super horizontal like you know nine o'clock spin axis like high spin efficiency slider you know um and and you know that might be like kind of you know sweepy or whatever you know have a ton of horizontal movement uh, like positive horizontal movement and then you know you'll have you'll have somebody that has a low spin efficiency slider or a lowest spin, spin efficiency slider. And, you know, it's almost kind of slurvy and it has like that two plane movement that we're looking for. So I think it's almost like there's ways to tie back the metrics to terms that we've used forever. And it's funny because, you know, I, I can remember, I think it was Nick Pollock a while ago saying like, there's no such thing as a pitch that's a slurve. And now that we have these numbers, I think there is like absolutely 100% a slurve, you know? Um, And, and uh, yeah, I mean, I I was trying to tell plots that we should call it a slicer, you know, like a, but it's really a slurve, you know, like there's, there's some of these, these pitches that are just sort of different in terms of like gyro spin that they're just different than, or or even a high, like, uh, or like a, 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 a Chaz row slider, you know? We're like, that's really what the slicer is. Like crazy super, horizontal movement. Super unique. Yeah, because it's super high spin efficiency, you know, um, where like you have something that's like lower spin efficiency that's really more of like a slurve because it has 
curve characteristics and it has slider characteristics. Like the more resistance, spin efficiency. I'm not stuff, so I might be no, but I think I think you're right. Spin efficiency is, you know, the ball will cut through the air with less resistance, and more resistance will lead to more vertical yeah. movement. And horizontal movement is what you get when you get a really efficient pitch because it's able to cut through the air with no resistance and do the intended thing it's supposed to do. Well, yeah, and there'll be something like, you know, um, fastballs that have, like, completely different characteristics, like something that has, you know, like, we'll say Tristan McKenzie, who has um, a relatively efficient four-steamer, and so, like, it has rise. And there's other guys like this, too. Um, and then there'll be somebody else, like, um, you know, Sixto Sanchez, that, like, his two-seamer is probably his better fastball because it has, you know, more horizontal movement, you know, so it pairs up better with his changeup. Um, or even somebody like Dustin May or whoever, you know, uh, and some of those guys, like those pitches work really well. Um, Sinkers and changeups go well together. Very yeah. Easy. Yeah. 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 I, but I mean, it just depends and it depends what your changeup is like. It may go good with a four seamer. It's just, it, there's so many different archetypes of pitchers and that's really what like this whole movement, um, revolution and the metrics behind it have like taught us. And I think it's amazing because I feel like I've learned so much about it. And I want to talk about it all the time, but we've only scratched the surface on so much of this stuff. I mean, we've really only scratched the surface on a tremendous amount of uh, this understanding. And I think ultimately, this is kind of topical. It ties back to like, we haven't done it. And I don't even think it's us. I think it's just the industry in general has not done a good job of evaluating pitching prospects. No, you know? Agreed. And, some of it comes down to like there is stuff at a game that looks really good against double A hitters that maybe if you had the metrics and you knew the numbers and were able to dig into a little bit more, you could see some red flags and you might back off of a guy a little bit more back, you know, or jump back in on somebody. You know, I think with Tristan McKenzie and Sixto Sanchez and even to a degree, Ian Anderson, they're different guys than we saw last September. And you know, that's part of it too, is like these guys are constantly evolving and just being able to get to the major league level and see the things that have changed and, and, you know, what works and what doesn't, I think it's just such yeah, a game. And it's, you know, and it's like a minors, it makes a difference. And it's like I mentioned last week, it's just, it's uh, a prospect list is just a slice of what we know at that time and, and things will change and we just got to deal with it and, and make the adjustments and, and hope that you know if you're a listener, if you're a fan, if you rely on us for information to to kind of guide you in your dynasty rankings, to to understand that we're just doing what we're making the best guesses we can with the information at hand. Now, hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. They kind of turn into a, a sort of a pitching uh, uh, segment there. I kind of want to bring it back to these contact <laughs> guys. I know we kind of, we spoke at length about what are the metrics? What are the things we're looking for for some of these pop-up bats? Now, let's kind of pop up some names and, and see how we feel about them. Uh, so... I'll just start first here. Corbin Carroll. Uh, Corbin yeah. Carroll, before the season was shot, and when we wrote our bold predictions in February, I believe it was, 
he was my boy prediction. I thought he was going to hit 20 home runs and he was going to work his way into being a top 10 prospect. I really, really liked what he was working with. Uh, great bat speed. It was just a matter of getting some of that loft in there. So, um, spoiler alert, I know we spoke about very, very, brief, very briefly about Corbin Carroll, and we seem to agree that this was someone who yeah. might be in line for a bump in power. Well, I mean, excuse me, Matt, what, what do you think about Corbin, Corbin he's Carroll? He's shown. Um, I did the Diamondbacks top 30 this year. Um, he's shown power, too. He led uh team usa in home runs as an amateur prospect um in his group and that was a pretty strong group of prospects in the, on that team um he was the leader in home runs on that on that squad and his question mark has always kind of been if the power is going to come and to me that's showing it at least a little bit there and you could he's got a frame that's got some projection to it and it's got the foundational skills and i, I feel like he's the guy in the right situation that can supply more power and he, he's shown it some in game and i just want it to be more of a consistent thing that he can add i mean he can he's got enough of like the elite contact skills but i think he can give up a little of that and hit for more power and i think it would do him a little bit of good yeah this uh, is someone who's been on the diamondbacks taxi squad so he's been at the alternate training site yeah, all this time and just, yeah. exactly it's just unfortunate we don't have any information he just turned 20 corbin carroll did and uh 2019 uh, uh you know had a had a Really solid year, uh, but just uh, just all too brief. About 185, 190, 90, 90 plate appearances. So you can only draw so much information uh, out of, out of what he was doing back there. But uh, he's a guy again. I get, I agree that just just something I I'd, I'd be crushing on. Um, I think with such a prolonged layoff for minor leaguers, the hype on so many guys has just you know just disappeared because there's nothing to talk about. So in my book Corbin Carroll is someone I would maybe you know send some feelers on I think here at prospects live or we might be the high guys on in, in the industry on Corbin Carroll so if you can if you can snag him uh, maybe don't even you know play the game that I do where you list out a bunch of names and you kind of <laughs> you know play coy I'm, hey man you know I'm Corbin Carroll and so and so and so and so you know just don't, don't single them out uh Ralph you mentioned Pete Crow Armstrong recent draftee as someone who could meet this benchmark what are you seeing in in PCA to to kind of that, that he's checking off these boxes that, that the power is not is more than what we've seen. Yo, he might even be a guy by the time we see him in pro ball might already be, be optimized. Uh, well, oh. he had actually made some swing adjustments um, and started showing a little bit more power, very slight tweaks, but was able to add a little bit more power sort of toward um, the, the time prior to shutdown. And people were sort of seeing it, you know, in game or at least in practices, et cetera. And, you know, I think the thing with Armstrong is he's a guy that um, I think the power is probably a little bit underrated, but he hit the ball hard. Um, if you look at some of his exit velocities, like on perfect game, I believe he's like in the high 90s, might even have some 100 plus, you know, max exit uh, velocities. That tells you that right there. Um, the bat path was a little bit flatter um, than other prospects. Um but he's a good contact guy, good good zone recognition skills. He's a good athlete, um, which usually translates to some of those adjustments. So I think PCA is a guy um, that can really optimize his swing and probably add more power. I don't know. I mean, I don't think he's going to get 30 home run bat. Maybe he gets there or something. But um, certainly a guy that, you know, I think has at least 20 homer sort of upside. I want to m- move on and kind of maybe just kind of mix in pretty much. It's kind of insane. The Cleveland Indians and the monopoly they have on bat first middle infielders. Uh, so Brian Rocchio might be the most known name in dynasty circles, uh, maybe, maybe hand in hand with Tyler Freeman, 
two guys that are have flirted with top 100 status, status have been in top 100s, maybe just outside of it. And Brian Rocchio just doesn't strike out very much, about 12% in his career. Uh, doesn't walk a ton. But again, a singular single-digit home runs uh, throughout each each minor league season. Uh, but it extends beyond that. Brian Rocchio, Tyler Freeman, Jose Fermin is another is another name that's very deep. And even deeper, someone that honestly just kind of popped up on my radar today as I was kind of doing some research for this episode, uh, Ernie Clement. Uh, he's a 24-year-old uh, middle infielder who reached AAA uh, very briefly last year for the first time, so most of it at AA. Again, only three home runs in his entire professional career for Ernie Clement, but a bat-first prospect who doesn't strike out very much. I mean, sub-10%, similar uh, sub-10% walk rate. So I don't know if you guys have any insight on what it is that Cleveland knows that other organizations don't. Maybe it's that they saw the success they had with Francisco Lindor and said, you know what, Uh, let's just kind of do this over and over, and if we hit even just one time with one of these guys, it's going to be well worth it. So it's a viable strategy almost just to target, similar to how maybe you want to target Dodgers or Yankees pitchers, target middle infielders from the Cleveland Indians and just kind of cross your fingers, Ralph? I mean, dude, why not? Right. right? Like it sort of, it sort of feels that way. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Cleveland seems to be one of those teams where um, I don't know if it's an internal development thing or if it's really more just their ability to identify talent. Um, I think that's probably a, a fairly large element of it is, you know, the fact that they're able to identify talent better than other teams. And then, you know, once they're in the system, they're able to sort of nurture that along as well. I think um, that's certainly, you know, a, a huge part of it. And and one guy that I'm excited to, that just joined Cleveland, Owen Miller, is another name that could potentially kind of fit this mold. Uh, again, bat first con, uh, prospect. Yeah. He did hit double-digit home runs, actually, for the Padres in AA last year, 13 home runs. But sub usually around 15 percent strikeout rate for him and and it just just kind of give the the audience a heads up uh, if it, it's weird the way you kind of find these numbers unfortunately you got to do a little bit of digging but if you go to the uh on fangrass for example if you go to the minor league leaderboards the stats only one you can find and filter create your own filters for swinging strike rate uh, ground ball rate line drive rate uh, iso so for example i have a i have a graph pulled up or or, or leaderboards rather pulled up that's uh, minor league hitters from 2019 that had a sub 10% swinging strike rate, sub 45% ground ball rate, above 20% line drive rate, and above a 150 ISO. That pulled up 48 total minor league hitters, so you can kind of use that as a base point. If you want to find out the contact percent, uh, Rotowire, if you subscribe to their tools, um, and if you dig into uh, the, the leaderboards of their stats, there is a contact percent stat for everyone. Uh, so you you kind of got to marry the two. So you'd have to download if you just if you're if you're an Excel whiz, you know you can probably marry the two sheets. But just to give the audience out there kind of where we're finding these numbers. The job for Smarter. Job for Smarter. Yeah, yeah. Job for Smarter. <laughs> Chipper Phil. They they, they <laughs> yeah. can they can get some goodness out of that. Um, Gerardo Pordomo, Matt, uh, another Diamondbacks prospect, excellent walk rate. Yeah. Uh, how are you feeling about him? Is he is he kind of in the thumbs up for potential power coming, or is he a little bit more of a Stay away. This might be a Nick Madrigal situation. I'm admittedly on the fence a little bit with Perdomo because I watched him. I've seen him play probably 25, 30 games probably since in his time with 
in Kane County and and in the AFL too when I went out there. He was out there. Um, he's a little bit too much of a slap hitter for me to throw big power, optimistic numbers on him. That being said, I do think he can hit 15 home runs. And with that skill set, with 15 home runs that he provides with the lead on base skills, uh, I think you're on to something with that type of player. Um, I don't know if 15 homers is enough of kind of what you're looking for, but I do think 15 homer um, shortstop with a potential 340, 350 OBP is worth rostering. So, I mean, that's well, what... no, c- certainly. And and so. and just and I'm glad you kind of brought that up because it's not just. We're not looking for guys that minimum 20 home runs or get out of here. I mean, 15 home runs for Gerardo Pornomo would be pretty substantial. Ing- right. I, I would qualify that as a legitimate bre- power breakout. You know, that he, that we're not creeping into average power territory. Where right now, this is someone who has fringe power at best, maybe below mm-hmm. that. So, yeah, so it, he's someone that, that I'd be, you know, I'm, I'm an OBP whore. So I'm always going <laughs> to have a spot spot for Gerardo Pornomo. Um, the next guy kinda, on this list, I'll let you introduce him. But, like, that's why he's where he is on prospect list is because – We've seen what he's doing, and we see what the stats say he can do. Yeah, so uh, you guys may have heard about this guy, um, a raised prospect middle infielder. Uh, Wonder? 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 Wonder Franco? Franco? Wonder Brad Franco? Wonder Franco, yeah. So (laughs) Wonder hasn't hit many home runs. Uh, Nine home runs last year between single A, high A. uh, 11 home runs. But, yeah, but we all know the numbers. And more importantly – we know the age. He did all this as an 18-year-old uh, in uh, last year. So you take that into consideration. You take the elite, elite, elite hit rate into consideration, uh, hit tool, excuse me, and you start wondering, this is someone who can easily marry future power and become a 25 home run plus power guy. Now, you're not, I mean, unfortunately, unlike Owen Miller or, or Tyler Freeman, you can't really get a discount on Wander Franco at this point. He's he's number one everywhere you look. Uh, but just someone to keep in mind that we haven't seen the best of Wander Franco. Uh, certainly not. So oh. uh, rounding out the podcast, uh, Ralph, I'll give you one name here. We talked about at, we talked at length about Nick Madrigal, why we're maybe down on him. So I'll skip him. But uh, maybe someone like uh, you, you, you kind of touched him in a couple of times. Xavier Edwards. Uh, Xavier Edwards, great hit tool, uh, excellent speed, but he's more in the slap hitter category than in a potential future power guy category. Yeah, he's definitely like squarely in the, the slap hitter yes. territory, you know. Um, you know, like I think it's funny with like Edwards or um, even Madrigal. You're talking about guys that like have less than like a couple of fingers worth of home runs, like in their entire minor league careers, you know? Um, and some of them are probably inside the park. So one, and I think it was inside the park. Yeah. So I think it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, if the guy can't hit the ball, you know, over the fence ever, that's probably a good sign. Um, but yeah, Edwards to me still falls into that, you know, um, slap hitter type. And you can always use, remember, uh, minor graphs, uh, a great tool where you can see, a lot of this information, including uh, line drive and ground ball and all that fun stuff, but also estimated fly ball distance. And if I, I don't have it pulled up, but I do remember Xavier Edwards was like bottom five uh, on the leaderboards for estimated fly ball distance, which is a little bit more of a measure uh, of, of just pure raw power. So, uh, yeah, Xavier Edwards, these are just guys. And, and to wrap this up, guys, we'll wrap up this conversation. I hope you've learned a, a little bit from it and can take some action out of this. But 
moving forward with this information as it keeps growing as it keeps changing are you now just just gonna artificially ding some of these slap only guys lower in a dynasty list uh matt maybe a little bit but again um i pulled up on fangraphs the leaderboards i guess the laggard board for iso um david fletcher is and with is the second um worst hitter in iso uh, between 2019 and 2020. And I mean, he's still pretty damn valuable in fantasy, right? Uh, Lorenzo Kane, Elvis Andrus. Um, so you have to Colton Wong, um, guys like that, which they're not like stars, but they're valuable fantasy assets. So you just have to marry it with stolen. If they're not a stolen base threat, I mean, yeah, you can kind of dismiss a lot of these guys, but if they have plus speed and the ability to put the bat on the ball, I, I still think they have their own value. Just don't count on them to be what they aren't. Well, con- consider also, r- real quick, and if you guys want the answer, I guess maybe skip it, but what do you think is the league average, the, the average average, the league's average average right now, or I guess the league average, Matt? Um, it's something like 240. Okay, 240. Ralph, what's your guess? The league, the league average across all of baseball right now. League average is saying batting average. Batting totally. average, yeah. It's it's not great. Two fifty, fifty five. You guys spit the baby there. Two forty five is is what baseball is at batting average uh, league wide. So there is a space, Matt, like you mentioned for David Fletcher, who who doesn't have that plus speed, who doesn't have that plus or really even average power, uh, but has three hundred plus batting average and. A 300 guys carrying you, carrying your numbers, especially in Roto Leagues, so much more than he was three to four years ago. And as batting average keeps plummeting around, across the league, you know, there is a a, a a conversation where you can have where you wonder, should I roster Nick Madrigal to help me balance these things out? Understanding you're going to then put more pressure on your other bats to produce with the power. Um but okay, that's that's a good conversation, guys. Uh, excellent information uh, from both Ralph and Matt. Appreciate you guys. Uh, just there it is. So just kind of recap, just a little bit here. Um, if when you're looking for numbers as to what could potentially predict someone breaking out, we threw out, you know, maybe maybe filter by line drive rate above twenty percent, swinging strike below ten percent, contract contact rate above eighty percent, but also consider. Uh, height sometimes comes into consideration here. Someone who's way shorter, like Nick Mandrigal, will likely have a tougher time than someone who's six, you know, six feet, six one, like Tyler Freeman. Uh, consider someone's bat path: is it level? Does it have a little bit of loft? Uh, and among other things, just what what's what's been shown so far in the minor leagues. Um, but yeah, hopefully you enjoyed it, guys. Like Corbin Carroll, PCA, uh, maybe Perdomo, certainly Wander Franco, guys that. Could have more power coming their way. Owen Miller as well. And Tyler Freeman, like we mentioned. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Prospects Live Dynasty Podcast. We're down to maybe about three weeks or so of regular season baseball. As always, wish you all the best. Hope you're closing in on a championship, if so. And uh, don't worry. If you're in last place, it doesn't count. And if you win it, it definitely counts. That's kind of the motto I'm going with. So we'll catch you all next week. Have a great one.